Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hezekiah is the last good king of Judah that we are going to hear about. Tomorrow night, we're still in these old kings from ancient Judah, but tomorrow night's a real bad one. Hezekiah is the last good king, and Hezekiah does the kinds of things that good kings do. He decides, we have not been following the Lord's law. We've not been keeping the Passover as it was prescribed, as often as it was prescribed. And even when they decide to actually do it, we heard in the text a couple different times, people weren't consecrated, the priests weren't ready. It was a whole thing, right? Church didn't start on time, you could say. Where's the pastor? Where's the organist? Where's the, nobody's even here. Everybody's showing up late. You know, like what? You know, to put it in modern terms. And yet it was still something that had not happened in Jerusalem since the days of Solomon. When they finally got going, right? They decided, let's have this feast another seven days. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's back up a little bit. The king commanded runners to go throughout all the land and invite all of Israel to return to the Lord. And there was this invitation with a promise. And the promise was... If you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children who had been taken off into Assyrian captivity, they're going to find compassion with their captors. They'll return to this land for the Lord, your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you. If you return to him, God loves when people repent. God loves when people realize this is not going well. I have sinned. And Lord, forgive me. I don't, I, I'm not worthy of you to forgive me. I'm not worthy for you to love me. But Lord, help. God loves that. And we hear that many rejected this invitation. They were mocking the messengers, laughing at them. But some did come up to Jerusalem in faith. And God was gracious to give them obedient hearts. He added to their obedience and their humility a double measure of grace poured out on them. In 2 Chronicles 30, verse 12, the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. And for the most part, they followed these prescriptions of Moses. They sacrificed the Passover lamb. They sprinkled the blood, which sounds, whoa, can you imagine that in a church service? But we heard from Hebrews, there is no forgiveness of sins without what? The shedding of blood. It says in verse 16 of chapter 30, they took their accustomed posts according to the law of Moses, the man of God, the priests threw the blood that they received from the hands of the Levites. But there, here we run into this issue. Many people weren't personally ready to celebrate the Passover as far as the ceremonial requirements for cleanness went. Now, for us, this is kind of confusing and convoluted. There's all these prescriptions. If this happens, you know, if like if you touch a dead body on purpose versus accidentally, um, you've got to wash with water and go show yourself before the priest. And there's a whole thing. You got to wait three days before you can come into the presence of the Lord in the temple. And a lot of people weren't ready. In their hearts, they were ready. But by the rule book, they were not fit to celebrate the Passover. But Hezekiah 
prayed for them. And he said, may the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. And what did the Lord do? Strike them all dead. No, no. The Lord heard Hezekiah and he healed the people. God had mercy on them. And then this festival ends with great rejoicing on the part of all who had gathered, not just the people of Judah, but also their neighbors to the north and not just Israelites, but the text mentions sojourners, people who were traveling through the land, people who were living there, but like, I'm not really so sure about all this by ancestry. I'm not one of these Israelites, but um, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm actually growing more convinced of Yahweh, the Lord, their God, and I'm going to celebrate this with them. Everybody was invited and everybody rejoiced. And God, who was not there with them, heard from heaven. The text ends in chapter 30 with this beautiful image. Their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. But this festival ended and Hezekiah died and all of his efforts to reclaim the great festival of the Exodus they were lost. They were undone. And the people, the nation continued to decline. Now, the reason, if, if you haven't been with us on these Wednesday nights, the reason that we are focusing on these Old Testament kings in the line of David throughout Lent is because every single one of them is a lens through which we see Christ more clearly than otherwise. Sometimes you might wonder, why, are, why is so much of this Bible like not about Jesus? Well, actually, it is all about him, but sometimes he's a little harder to see. God had promised King David, one of your offspring, David, will be the eternal ruler over this kingdom. I will establish his throne forever. He will build a house for my name. And so every king in the line of David thought, maybe I'm the guy. Every one of them, if they were good and noble at heart, would strive to be that king. I want to be that guy. And none of them were. But guess who Jesus is descended from? King David. Jesus is the king in the line of David who would rule forever, who establishes a house for God's name, not a house made with hands, but as it's described elsewhere in the New Testament, the church, the living temple. And Jesus does something almost exactly like Hezekiah did in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, and I'll show you how. First of all, there's an invitation with a promise. Runners aren't sent out just through the land of Judea and up to the kingdom of Israel in the north, but Pastors and preachers and ministers of the gospel are sent through the whole earth to tell people, come to the feast. Come receive the Lord's body and blood. And the promise is, forgiveness of sins will be yours. And just like many people rejected Hezekiah and laughed at him, many people reject that invitation today. Jesus said, do this. In remembrance of me. He said, do it. He didn't say, do it once a quarter. Or do it three times a month. Or do it every time you get together. 
He said, he, but, but he did say, do it. So if you're here in a church and we're having communion and you've been instructed and you've been welcomed to the Lord's table and you don't come up, what's going on there? At least those who mocked Hezekiah's messengers had a long journey ahead of them. They didn't want to go all the way up to Jerusalem. They didn't want to have to make that journey. Like, I got stuff to do. Who's going to take care of my household? What do you mean? We got to, we got to pack everything up and go down to Jerusalem? That's not even the capital of our nation. I don't, whatever, you know. But for us in churches, it's, it's right there. We already made the journey to be here. Now, when it comes to Moses' prescriptions, right, the, the Israelites or the, the people in the, living in the kingdom of Judah, they had to follow those because they're celebrating the exodus from Egypt. But we're not celebrating the exodus from Egypt, right? What the, what the Passover festival was to the exodus, the Lord's Supper is to Jesus' death and resurrection. So that's why Christians don't keep the Passover. Because the Passover celebration and the historical event that that celebrates and remembers points forward to the greater exodus and the greater Passover that Jesus institutes for his church on the night when he was betrayed. Better than being delivered from slavery in Egypt and escaping through the waters of the Red Sea, our God delivers us from sin, death, and the devil. And we don't go through a sea, but we do go through water in baptism. Now remember, in the Exodus, the people, they all had to sacrifice a spotless lamb. And they used its blood to protect themselves from God's wrath and judgment. And they had to apply that blood to what? The, the vertical and the horizontal of their, of their household, the doorway. And then Moses led the nation to Mount Sinai and they received the law of God and he proclaimed it to all the nation. And the finishing touch on all of this was that Moses ratified that whole covenant from the introduction of the Passover that final plague in Egypt, all the way through their flight from Egypt. The whole giving of the law, the Ten Commandments, he you know, broke them and then had to go get them again because the people had already fallen into idolatry by the time Moses came down the first time. The finishing touch in all of this was that Moses ratified the covenant with the blood of calves and goats. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. Does that sound familiar? This is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. The old covenant here isn't totally thrown away and forgotten about, but rather it's superseded by the new covenant. So the imagery of the old covenant is still useful. The spotless lamb of God, his blood protects us from God's wrath and judgment, does it not? The spotless lamb of God, his blood was applied to the horizontal and the vertical beams of wood. That's why we make such a big deal about the cross, right? And that's, by the way, why we sing the Agnus Dei, or Lamb of God. Because Jesus is our spotless lamb who makes God's wrath pass over us. And Jesus' blood, just like the blood of 
the goats and the calves ratified that old covenant, so also Jesus said in our gospel reading for tonight, he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of what? The covenant. It's like an exact parallel to Moses ratifying the old covenant with the people with all those sacrifices and how they had to do them over and over and over again. You heard the numbers that they had at that feast in Jerusalem. It was like 17 or 18,000 sheep, thousands of bulls that they sacrificed in a two-week period. Jesus is our once-for-all sacrifice. This new covenant is a better covenant. No Purification or consecration is needed, right? All the people who came, they were not all ceremonially ready. They hadn't done the prescribed washings. They, they had not abstained from certain behaviors or contact with certain kinds of things as God had prescribed in order to celebrate the feast, right? Be holy as I am holy, God said to them. They weren't ready. But Hezekiah prayed and God answered his prayer and healed them and it was all okay. And, and now in this new covenant, no purification or prior cleaning is needed. You don't have to get yourself cleaned up and get your life in shape before you come to Jesus for forgiveness. Coming to Jesus for forgiveness is what cleans you. The power of the Holy Spirit is what changes your life. And that's good news, friends, because you're powerless to make a, the, uh, a change toward righteousness in your lives just as much as I am. God's perfect and holy law commands us to do something that we are incapable of doing because of sin within us. And yet Jesus says, come, do this. This is my body. This is my blood. Shed for the forgiveness of sins. We don't have to walk righteously for a certain amount of time. If you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, I haven't been up to communion in a really long time and I don't know if this is really for me, don't think that. If you've been instructed, if you believe what the Missouri Synod believes and teaches and confesses about this sacrament, that it is truly Jesus' body and blood, that we receive grace and the forgiveness of sins, if that confession is your confession, then come tonight. And we'll talk later. If you're not a member of this church, if you have other questions, we'll talk later. Come tonight. Don't reject the invitation. Jesus did too much for that kind of thing to stand in our way. And now the final point here. That feast in the Old Testament with King Hezekiah, that ended. And they all had to go back to their lives and things didn't stay awesome for them. But King Jesus lives forever, never to abandon his people. The festival might end here on earth. When we celebrate communion, this service eventually ends. Trust me. Okay, hang on. It'll eventually end. But it continues in heaven. In the sacrament of the altar, heaven and earth overlap. We can't see it. 
We might not be able to hear it, but we confess it to be true. And we, when we so believe it to be true in this church that we sing it, that we sing it. Our prayers and our praise don't need to rise all the way up to heaven where God hears us from somewhere way up there from his holy habitation. And there's this great distance between us because Jesus is here. The whole company of heaven is here. And so we, you know, we, I chant and you all respond, therefore with angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, holy, holy, holy Lord. You can only hear your voices and the organ here with our ears, but there are voices singing with us. That would blow our minds if we, if we truly understood what was happening there. Heaven meets earth. This festival doesn't end. This goes on forever. Things stay awesome for us forever <laughs> in a way that they didn't for the people of Judah. So enough of me talking about this. Let's keep going in this service toward communion. <laughs>